Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. There are two Bible readings for today. The first one is from Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17. The second will be from 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 to chapter 2 verse 2. So the first one is Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17 and I'm reading from the NIV. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. The second reading is 1 John 1, 8 to 2, 2. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to that of Lauren and the band. I'm Jacko, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Uh, And welcome to our 15th edition of Online Church. Probably not too many online churches to happen, but uh, this is, uh, it's been good. Uh, And let's pray this morning as we come to God's word and study his word. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, this morning, as we think particularly about the third commandment, uh, Lord, we pray that we would, by your spirit and through your word, see Jesus, hear Jesus, and love Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. When I was at Moore College uh, many, many years ago, studying uh, theology and learning how to read the Bible, uh, one of the first subjects we did was called Doctrine One, and Dr. John Woodhouse, the principal of the college, took that course. And I remember in the very first lecture, John Woodhouse handed each one of us a blank piece of paper and asked each one of us, there were about 110 of us in the class, to write down in order from memory all of the Ten Commandments. He took up, collected all the pages, had a look at them, and less than half of us were able to do the task. And it kind of confirmed to John Woodhouse a little bit of a hunch. He, He was doing this little kind of experiment, I guess you would call, year after year after year, 
And he was kind of thinking, one of the things we do as Bible-believing Christians is we elevate the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet possibly leave behind or fail to kind of teach and explore the commandments of God. What does it mean to live as one of God's people? I think um, John Woodhouse kind of had a point that we, we are often all about grace, but we sort of don't really know what that means to live out, or we let the commands kind of drift away somewhere. John Woodhouse had a point, and I think it's really good for us every now and then uh, to take some time out to, to study the commands of God, to think about what does it look like to, to live as someone redeemed and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ as we wait for him to come back. Ethics is normally the word that's given to that. What does it look like to live out the Christian faith in the real world? And it also, thinking about this and thinking about the Ten Commandments, brought back to mind a great quote from a book called The Pastor is Public Theologian by a guy named Kevin Van Hooser. Excellent name, really great book, uh, where he sort of highlights this tension we live with as Christians between the gift of grace and the call to live as one of God's people. And on one of the particular pages in the book, actually it's page 121, uh, Kevin Van Hooser says this, being united or being in Christ is both gift and task, privilege and responsibility. Um, Exaggerate the gift and you risk antinomian complacency. That's kind of like just throw out the law and it's all about grace. On the flip side, he says, exaggerate the responsibility and you risk what he calls legalistic anxiety, where you go, oh my gosh, I'm now going to do all these little things and I've got, a, I've got a list of things I have to do and there's a list within the list and you get all stressed out because, you know, I'm not kind of doing all the things on the list, etc. There's that tension we live with between the gift of grace and the call to obedience. And I think when we come to the third commandment, this third word that God gave to his people at Mount Sinai after they were rescued from slavery and oppression in Egypt kind of really brings this to a head. Um, Here's the word from the Lord, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you. We're going to do a bit of Bible flicking today. But the word of the Lord is this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, the obvious question that arises when you hear that after reading the commandment is, what does it actually mean to misuse God's name? And probably the first thing that comes to your mind, probably the first thing that came to my mind, would be using God's name or Jesus' name kind of as a swear word, right? Um, I once heard a young man, right, who believed that um, growing up, the first two names that he was given were Jesus Christ. He lived in a, a pretty rough home where his parents were often pretty angry with him and the only times they'd speak to him is when they were angry at him and they would use Jesus Christ and then his name. He thought he was, that was the first two words of his name. Swearing's pretty common, right? My guess is that we all know people who misuse God's name pretty frequently, People who say, oh my God, you know, when something unexpected or challenging kind of happens, when they're shocked. And of course, OMG is now kind of standard texting kind of material, right? OMG is what we write in text messages. We're also familiar with blasphemy, right, of using Jesus' name when you stub your toe on the corner of the table or you hit your thumb with a hammer or, you know, when Netflix has taken forever to stream and come down. 
Genuinely, right, the reason why people use the name of God or Jesus in this way is to underline or emphasise what they're saying. By using the name of Jesus or God, they seek to give power or, you know, yeah, power to their statement. Now, clearly, there are misuses of God's name or of Jesus' name. Most of the time, it's it's not yet Christians who transgress here, though, but, you, you know, we too are not immune to such blasphemy. But I guess, does that mean, right, that as Christians, uh, we can obey the third commandment simply by avoiding this kind of blasphemous swearing? Well, while it might be comfortable and reassuring to think that, there is a bigger picture given to us in the Bible, which suggests that there may be more to the third commandment than first meets the eye. So today, this morning, as we come to the word of God, we're going to consider the context into which this commandment was given the meaning of some key words within the commandment itself. Then we're going to think about where it's mentioned throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And then we'll think about what it might mean for us today. So context, meaning, application. That's kind of where we're going. So firstly, context. Um, Let's start with the original context and meaning. The context into which the law of God, these words of God are given, is absolutely critical. We've been thinking about this all the way through the series. So when Yahweh, the Lord, and you'll notice in the copy of your Bible, hopefully, that the Lord is all in capital letters, that's the, the name Yahweh. The name of the Lord, not just a title like master or something. It's, it's the Lord, Yahweh. So when Yahweh first spoke to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, he identified himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God who made promises and would fulfill those promises that he made to the descendants of Abraham. This was the God's name, whom if anyone asked was, I am who I am. That's the name that God gave to Moses so that when he went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, who's, in whose name do you come? He could say, I am sent me. I am who I am sent me. Yahweh. This is the God who, who brought the Israelites or who would bring the Israelites out of slavery and oppression in Egypt, who would rescue, redeem, liberate, um, save deliver his chosen people with acts of power designed to demonstrate before the whole watching world that he was the one true almighty living God. And so when Moses confronts Pharaoh, remember, they're locked in this conflict in the middle of the plagues, Moses gives an explanation of God's purposes in all of it. Take a look with me, Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Um, Moses delivers the Lord's message to Pharaoh. He says, I mean, effectively, I could have wiped you out by now, um, but verse 16, but I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, was redeeming his people for the honour of his name. Can you see how the Lord's mighty deeds, rescuing his people from Pharaoh's hands in Egypt, would give his name some oomph, some power, some clout? You see, the events of the Exodus proclaim the nature and reputation of Yahweh, the Lord. They shout it from the rooftops to the world. This is the one true, almighty, powerful God. The Israelites, CC, had been rescued for a reason, to bring honour and glory to the name of the Lord. They were his chosen people for that same reason, to live in a way that brings honour and glory to the name of the Lord. 
So I hope you can see that the reputation of the Lord's name is a big deal as you look at the Exodus. And understanding that, I think, helps us to see a deeper meaning and a deeper sense to the the third commandment, especially as we consider the meaning, some of of the key words in it. Now, you know me, right? I don't like flicking around between different translations of the Bible. I kind of like the NIV 2011 version. Um, but this time, I think it's a really helpful thing just to, to go to a different translation. Because the, in the NIV, uh, it uses the word in chapter 20, verse 7, misuse, where I think the ESV translation is actually a fair bit better. Uh, the ESV translation says this. It's a more literal It says, I quote, this is Exodus 20, verse 7 in the ESV. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I prefer the ESV translation because of a couple of key words. Uh, The two words are take and in vain. Take and in vain. The basic meaning of the Hebrew word uh, take is to, is to lift, is to bear, or is to carry. So this commandment is all about how God's name is born, is carried, and used in a public context. The Hebrew behind the word, uh, the words in vain, carries that sense of, of falsity or deception or lacking substance or without good reason. And so when you put those two ideas together, to take and in vain, we can say that the meaning of the command is that we must not carry or represent the name of the Lord falsely. We must not carry or represent the name of the Lord falsely. And you ask, well, Jacko, how would someone kind of do that? How would someone carry the name of the Lord or misrepresent the name of the Lord falsely? Well, to that, we need to turn to the Bible, right, to see what the Bible has to say about how you might actually do that. And the the Old Testament, right, goes on to speak about a couple of ways in which a person could take the name of the Lord in vain. And the first one has to do with, with swearing oaths falsely in God's name. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Do not swear falsely by the name, by my name, And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, that didn't mean, right, that you were never to take an oath in God's name. Uh, So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, it says, Fear the Lord, uh, your God, and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. So the Lord isn't prohibiting take making oaths in his name, but if they were to make, if God's people were to make an oath in the name of the Lord, they were bound to keep that oath. Swearing an oath falsely in God's name profanes his name. It brings his name into disrepute. It says that effectively the Lord is not worth fearing at all. Similarly, if you turn up Numbers chapter 30 verse 2, we read, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So if you make a vow to the Lord or take or make an oath in his name, you must do what you pledge. If you fail to do so, you break the third commandment and you take the Lord's name in vain. 
Now, of course, when it comes down to it, right, swearing falsely is essentially lying, isn't it? Very closely related. But when you use the Lord's name to give power to that lie, it's even more serious, right? You would agree. Jesus, right, picked up on this in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. In that sermon, he's explaining how God's people must follow not only the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law as well. We'll see this more and more as we look at the Ten Commandments over the coming weeks, how Jesus kind of casts fresh light on these commands. The section on the Sermon on the Mount, though, which most closely connects with the third command, is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37, uh, where Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 33 to 37. This is Jesus speaking. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So the Old Testament said, don't, make, don't break an oath made in God's name. But Jesus takes it even further and says, don't even make an oath in the name of anything. Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. In other words, tell the truth always. Tell the truth all the time. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ. Whenever we speak, we must honour his name by speaking the truth in love. James, the brother of Jesus, echoes the same idea in James chapter 1, verse 5 and 12. You read James, right? It just feels like you're reading Jesus all over again. But here's James, the brother of Jesus, James 5, 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear... Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. You see, swearing falsely is lying and that is wrong. And swearing falsely in the name of the Lord is lying and drags God's name through the mud. And in the process, well, that's even more wrong. To go there is dangerous ground, according to James, is dangerous ground, according to Jesus. It's dangerous ground, according to the the third commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the second part, remember what it said? The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But of course it's dangerous ground because it's, it's a very short step from lying to then living a lie. A short step from lying to living a lie. Which I think brings us to the second way the scriptures teach us about how we might take the name of the Lord in vain. And it's by living in willful disobedience. Uh, Look with me, uh, flick back to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 22 and verses 31 to 33. God says, keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. 
So the context here is still the law being given by God to his rescued people through Moses at Mount Sinai. And God's rescued people, they would bring honour to the Lord's name, to Yahweh's name, if they obeyed his commandments. Failing to obey God profaned his holy name. Deliberately failing to do so is basically living a lie. You cannot be one of God's holy people if you're not prepared to live God's way. It's, it's as simple as that. You cannot be one of God's holy people if you're not prepared to live God's way. Numbers 15, 30 to 31 underlines this truth even more powerfully. Verse 30, Numbers 15. But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the, name, blasphemes the Lord... And must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. So the one who sins defiantly, that is one who who knows God's way but lives in willful disobedience, blasphemes the Lord. They dishonour his name by carrying it falsely. That too is taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. And again, notice, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who takes the name of the Lord in vain. As these verses say, their guilt remains on them. They will be held accountable. They will be cut off. Well, at this point, right, you might say, well, Jacko, that's great. Like, that's addressed to God's old people. That's Israel, old covenant people. Back in the ages gone past, you know, the people at Mount Sinai, um, that was the penalty for them when they disobeyed the third commandment. But Jacko, like, is it the same for Christians today? I mean, you know, Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is, you know, stood on a new mountain. He's given a new law. Is it the same? Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, you'd have to say that it is the same. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10 in a minute. It's a, it's a really sobering passage. This passage actually makes me shake every single time I read it, particularly when I think hard about my own life. It's Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 31. It comes, it comes immediately after one of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament that talks about how because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, we can now come confidently to the throne of grace. It says that in light of who we are in Jesus, we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as we wait for the return of Jesus. It's just so encouraging and then you have this super stern warning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone, verse 28, who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God, that's Jesus, underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing 
to fall into the hands of the living God. Yikes. Friends, I I hope you can see it, that willful sin is dangerous. Deliberately doing what we know to be wrong according to God's word makes us enemies. And God's enemies, according to Hebrews 10, will be judged. They will be consumed by raging fire. It's a fearful image. But when we engage in willful sin, we break the third commandment. As I said, as Christians, we have the name of Christ in our own name. We are followers of Christ. So when people think of us, they associate us with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In other words, we lift up, we carry, we bear, we wear the name of Jesus. But when we claim the name of Jesus but are openly sinful, we take the name of the Lord in vain. We drag his name through the mud. We misrepresent him. And Hebrews 10 says we will be held accountable by God. Now, I don't know, you might be thinking right now as the word of God is proclaimed, you might be thinking, am I guilty of willful disobedience? Where's the line between falling into sin and into willful disobedience? It's a really good question to ask. You know, given that we're in a series thinking and looking at the Ten Commandments, now's a good time to ask them, you know, what is the line? Where are we in danger? The reality is, right, that we, even as Christians, rescued by God from slavery to sin, delivered from the fear of death, forgiven because of the blood of Jesus and forgiven through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, indwelt by his powerful Holy Spirit, we still struggle with sin, don't we? That struggle is described really well by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 17. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Like I think of the phrase, like, old habits die hard. Saying no to the cravings of the sinful nature and saying yes to God's way with the help of the Holy Spirit is always going to be an ongoing battle for us as Christians. I feel this all the time. Like I I struggle with kind of my temper. I struggle with anger. I struggle with lust. I struggle with pride. The Christian life is a struggle, yeah? And we all know that, don't we? But the upside of the struggle is that the struggle is evidence of the Spirit at work in us. The struggle is evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work in us, making us more like Jesus. You see, if the Spirit wasn't at work in me, then I wouldn't be struggling with my sinful tendencies, would I? I'd just just go for it. But here's the thing. If we don't heed the Spirit who is given to us to shape our conscience in accordance with God's word, if we don't repent and come clean when we fail, instead, if we just start to justify our sinful behaviours, then we are in grave danger. A guy named Dr Ashley Null, who's a bit of an expert on a fellow named Archbishop Cranmer, uh, one of the great British-English reformers in the 1500s, 1600s, uh, once said this, what the heart loves the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. 
We can be deceived and we can deceive ourselves. And over time we will... We can become hardened by sin's deceitfulness and stop struggling. So we're in danger of willful sin, right? When we start to think like this, ah, it's no big deal that I look lustfully at a woman or at that man. Ah, it doesn't matter that I I, I can watch whatever I want on the internet. It doesn't really matter what I watch. It doesn't matter if I have sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before marriage. It doesn't matter. Or we can start to justify things, right? Um, you know, not reading our, the God, like God's word, not praying because, I don't know, we're too busy, other things to do. Not bothering to gather with God's people because, well, I'm just, I'm just, I feel a bit tired. We can justify not giving generously to the work of God. We can start to justify not giving generously to the poor. There is so much in the scriptures about giving generously to the poor. I think we're in danger of willful sin when we start thinking, you know, it doesn't matter if I lose my temper or hurt others when I'm angry. I'm angry, I feel it. Or when I start thinking, it doesn't matter if I'm I'm rude or unkind to members of my household or my family. You know, after all, I've had a hard day. It doesn't matter if I don't do what my parents tell me to do. I know better anyway. Friends, it really, the reality is it really does matter does matter that we obey God if we are his chosen, rescued, redeemed, delivered people. The honour of God's name is at stake. Our eternal future is at stake as well. Willful sin, if we fail to repent and let it take hold, will dishonour God's name and will take us to hell. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So is there any hope in the face of failure? I mean, what if today I realise that my heart has grown hard towards God? What if I realise that I've, I've fallen into a pattern of willful disobedience? What if I am convicted by the word of God this morning that I have been living a lie for six weeks or six months or six years and have taken the name of the Lord in vain? Is there any hope for me? Is there any way back for me? Well, the Bible assures us that there is. Look with me at the final passage we're going to think about today. It's 1 John chapter 1. Um, You know this passage well. Um, It's such a cracker. Um, You know, if Andy from MasterChef, one of the judges, was a Christian, he'd say it's banging. Uh, This is a cracking passage. John, the apostle, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know, friends, can you see the only way forward for all of us when we realise that we've sinned is to come clean with our Heavenly Father and throw ourselves afresh on the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even willful sin can be forgiven if we humbly repent and ask us, ask the Lord to wash us clean afresh in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, like there's this offer of free forgiveness available to us, but the assurance of free forgiveness is not licensed to kind of keep on sinning. John makes this crystal clear as you read on to chapter 2 of his first letter where he says, 
that my dear children, that's his way of saying follower of Jesus, loved one of God, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice of our, for our sins, and only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Can you see what John is saying? He's saying God's promise of forgiveness is not licensed to, to go on sinning, but it's a lifeline for, of rescue for when we fail. I live by this passage. Jesus is my only hope when I fail. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. We must rely on him. He is our only hope. But when we run to him, this passage tells us that he forgives us freely and completely. And even more than that, he helps us to keep going. He helps us to keep on carrying the name of Jesus in a way that brings honour and glory to him and ultimately, praise God, draws other people to him. Indeed, that's, that's God's purpose for us, to bring honour and glory to him and so to draw people to him. Brothers and sisters, God's intention for us as his chosen people was exactly the same as his intention for his people of old. As Christians, we too have been rescued and redeemed and set on our feet again. So may the Lord help us and strengthen us to bring honour to the name of the Lord Jesus in everything we think, in everything we say, and in everything we do this week. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Heavenly Father, We thank you for rescuing us from sin and from death through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family. Father, forgive us for the times when we fail to to honour you. Father, forgive us for our willful sins. May they not rule over any of us at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Father, create in us Clean hearts, renew us, Father, restore us. And Father, by your spirit, help us to live in a way that brings honour and glory to your name in everything we think, in everything we say, and in everything we do, not just this week, but always until we see Jesus and enjoy him forever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.